If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. Uh, yeah, ushers are moving. Excellent. The pastor blew it. Mark it down. It's the only time in the 14 years I've been with you. If you're new, good morning. My name is Mark. We're starting a new series here together. Uh, it's called The Four, and uh, I'm excited to preach these next four messages to you. Uh, I think they're very important, crucial at this stage in the life of our church for us to be reminded of who we are and what we're about. The church is not a building, it's a people. Uh, even beyond being a people, the church is a mission. We are uh, the called out ones. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, and ecclesia means the called out ones. We are the ones called out from the world uh, to accomplish the biddings and purposes of our God. And so uh, to help us understand these uh, things that we are and this mission that we're on, we've, we've created statements. Uh, it's in your bulletin for the last time, this mission statement that we've had for the last, I don't know, six or eight years. Uh, and, and we're going to continue to pursue these things, but every once in a while I just like rearranging the furniture. Is anybody with me on this? Some of you have had houses for the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years and nothing's changed and that's great for you. I like to move the furniture around. And uh, I also like to keep things simple. As I get older, uh, simpler is better. Anybody with me on that? And so uh, what we've d tried to do is, is truncate and shrink down some of the things that we've uh, asked you to remember as we uh, commit to a purpose, commit to our vision as a church. And uh, so our mission statement currently reads, it's in your bulletins if you want to read it with me. Read it. In fact, do read it with me. We exist to surrender to God. Are you reading? I don't hear you. I know you, school's in. You're better. Let's go. Here we go. We exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, it is our mission. We do exist uh, to surrender to God. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, surrender was the first part of that. You gave up you and you took on him. We are committed to being disciples and being used by God to make disciples. But we're going to say it this way from now on. Everybody say it with me. We live to glorify God by being disciples who make disciples. Shorter, yeah, and also a little more active. You know, we exist, yeah. Uh, we live, oh, now we're doing something. Uh, uh, we exist to surrender God, absolutely. That's kind of passive. We exist to glorify God. Now, that's a little more active. Uh, we want to be disciples, listen. If a church does not produce disciples of its people, if you and I do not grow in our faith, if we do not deepen in our follow, then the rest of the mission falls apart. If you've got a bunch of Christians involved in a church who are just kind of like, meh, when it comes to the mission, they'll be like, meh. So you and I have to grow. We're going to be disciples. We want to be better disciples, but we don't want to stop there. We want to have more disciples. So that's why we say we want to be disciples who God through us makes disciples. We don't be disciples who make disciples. Now, if you've been here for a long time, you remember at the very beginning when I got here, we shrunk that down even further. We said, be one, make one. A disciple, be one, make one. We shrunk that down even further. Anybody remember that? We just used an acrostic, BOMO. Be one, make one. That's as, that's as short as we could get it. There's just, you know, unless we had like a symbol like Prince had for his name for a while, I mean, that's, that's as short as we could get it. But it's the same thing. And listen, we're not tricking it up. This is not something different. This is the same thing that's been in the church or the mission of the church for 2,000 years. Followers of Christ being used of God to make followers of Christ, all so that his glory can be manifest in the world. Now, whenever you have a mission, uh, it's great to kind of set up some rails, some, some boundaries, some lines that you want to function within. And so we call those our values. 
Uh, these are the things that drive us in our vision. We've had eight in the past 14 years that we've talked about in our membership classes. Maybe you came, uh, became a member in our church under these. Uh, but again, rearrange the furniture. I think we should you know, have things that are simpler. So what we've talked about for the last 14 years is loving God, which is our mission as a church, to love God. That's what Jesus was, uh, when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love others as you love yourself. Heard that one? So we've, we've kind of set ourselves up around those two things, loving God and loving others. When we love God, we talk about loving him by understanding and living out the things that we read in his word, by worshiping him, not just in song like we did this morning so beautifully, but worshiping him in everything that we do in life and every choice that we make that may glorify him. We want to serve him and people. We want to pray to him and hear from him in life. These are the things that we want to do in relationship uh, with God as we seek to love him. But we also want to love people. We've talked about that in terms of unity. Uh, a church divided is a church dead, eventually, right? Uh, if we don't stay focused in the same direction and paddling in the same uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, general uh, focus, uh, we're, we're just not going to be alive very long. And so we've sought to be unified around the majors and, and uh, to, to learn each, from each other in the minors. But unity, community, we're going to talk about that more today. We've got to be together. We've got to be in relationship. It's not enough to just come and sit and face forward for an hour once a week and think that you're a part of the church. The church is meant to go deeper, beyond information and into intimacy. That's, that's our mission. Our goal is for people to be known and to know and for people to be loved and to love. Uh, this is mine that I threw in. I don't see it in a lot of churches' uh, value statements, but it was really important to me, especially growing up in churches that, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm, I really down the churches I grew up in. There were some great Christian people there, but, but overall, uh, I didn't sense that there was this commitment to authenticity. This, you know, uh, spoiler alert, newsflash, but sometimes Christians can fake it. <laughs> Christians can sometimes seem Christian, but not really be following Jesus. Now, they get good at being a part of the Christian culture. They memorize the verses and know the tunes. But, but when it comes to really following Jesus, or, or when it comes to talking about their hurts and disappointments and difficulties, they put up the facade. Just let everybody think I'm great. Uh, here at our church, we hold to this very closely, dearly. It's okay not to be okay. In fact, if you tell me you're okay, I have suspicions. It's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Be honest. Be authentic with who you are in Christ and with where you are in life. Then the other one we talked about is something I think churches lose sight of real fast, intentionality. A lot of times churches just are because they've always been. And if that becomes uh, what we settle for as a church, just to be, well, I, I think it's the beginning of our end like so many other churches, right? We need to be intentional. We need to be forward-thinking and and future-looking. We need to uh, aspire to bring along next generations and new followers so that the work here can always remain vital and vibrant for Christ. Well, those are our eight things, uh, and I, I will confess that sometimes when I've been asked to quote by the eight things that I was responsible for you know, uh, structuring for us, I've forgotten one or two. Maybe some of you didn't even know we had eight things. Welcome to church. It's great to see you. <clears throat> so, uh, if, if that's the case, we want to make it even simpler for us to remember our things, so we've shrunk this list down. I'll say them together. They're on your bulletins. Here's who we are at Bay Life Church. We worship. Say it with me. We worship. We belong. We serve. And we multiply. All those eight things are going to kind of fit nicely under each of these. 
Uh, as we go forward in membership classes, these are the things that we're going to hold out for our people. And these are the things that we want you to kind of understand as we seek to be those who live to glorify God uh, by being disciples who make disciples. These are our legs that this table called Bay Life can rest itself on. Uh, belonging, worshiping, serving, and multiplying. Today we're going to start with belonging. Uh, and we're going to take one a week and we're just going to kind of uh, refocus on who we are and what we are as a church as we move into this next season of ministry together. People belong to lots of things. Turn to someone next to you and, and go outside of the church. Last night I asked this question and everybody was telling me the ministries they're a part of. That's great. But go outside of the church. What are the things? 15 seconds. Fire them off one after another to the people next to you. What are the things that you belong to? Go. What are the things that you belong to? Go. Were you worried? <laughs> I got on a plane this weekend. Who's, who's, who's ever had a plane cold? Has anybody ever had a plane cold? My ears still won't pop, and I got, I got an itchy throat. I needed water. What'd you guys say when I asked you what'd you belong to? Throwing out. Work. Work. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Slavery ended a long time ago. I'm sorry for you. You know what my first one was? Sam's Club. That's what I belong to, proud. Proud to be a member of Sam's Club. Uh, we belong in lots of places, in lots of environments, to lots of different people groups. Anybody say family? Yeah, I belong to our families. Any of you spouses say my wife or my husband? Yeah, the Bible talks about that, we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, humans were created to belong. I got this water, I'm gonna drink some. Humans were created to belong. Did you know that? They were created to belong by a God who belongs. Does everybody understand that God exists as three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit? He's triune. And eternally and perfectly, God has always belonged to himself. Father, Son, and Spirit exist uh, with a, a co-equalness and uh, uh, with this codependence, a good kind, uh, in which they they support each other and honor each other within the Godhead. So this triune God says in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image. And that means lots of things. There's a whole series of sermons that we could speak on the image of God. But uh, certainly what it, it means for us this morning is that we were created to belong. Just like God belongs to himself, humans were created to belong as well. We were created to belong first to God. Uh, as the creator of us, he's the owner of us, just in the same way that you create things, you own them, like my Nana creates Afghan after Afghan after Afghan. She's 103 years old. I just saw her, and she just knits herself into a corner. She's amazing. <laughs> but everywhere you go, you can see something that my grandmother's made, whether it's a washcloth or an Afghan or any knitted, you know, I, and that's Nana's. I mean, she may give it to you, but she created it. She has ties. She has ownership. God created us, and so he owns us. But then, 
As we move towards the New Testament, we understand that sin has separated us and severed the relationship that we have with God. And so God not only created and owns us, but God bought us with a price and owns us again. If you're a Christian, you're bought twice. You're owned twice. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, uh, Paul says, hey, don't forget, you've been bought with a price. Jesus was our ransom. We just sang about that a second ago. And so we belong first to God, but then don't forget, he created us to belong to each other. The first belonging was in the garden. You know, God looked down at the man and said, this guy should not be alone. He will make a mess. Let's get him someone. And so he created woman, and the two uh, were brought together, and they were made to belong to each other, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. Uh, the two became one flesh. They became one. They belonged to each other. A couple chapters later, kids came along. Cain and Abel. Yeah, some good, some bad. But those first children belonged to their parents in relationship, just like your kids belong to you, good or bad. They're ours. We're theirs. Uh, the entire human fabric network is created around uh, a series of relationships of belonging. And it extends uh, to cultures and countries and ethnicities. There's all kinds of ways that we can belong. Uh, but God's chief accomplishment in belonging, I believe, is the church. There's no greater melting pot in existence than the body of Christ. That's what Paul calls it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. But uh, Paul refers to the church as the body here. He says, for just as the body, yours and mine, is one and has many members, all kinds of parts, and all the members of the body, though, mem are, though many, are one body, he says, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. I love these distinctions. Paul almost always throws them in when he's talking about unity or when he's talking about the body. He's like, yeah, guys, even those groups are together because uh, two of the major divisions in culture at the time were between Jews and Gentiles, especially in the church. The Jews were the original um, uh, claimants of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they looked down on those who weren't Jews as subhuman. Dogs, Gentiles were, right? But then Jesus comes along and he says, no, we're wiping that distinction out. And if you're in Christ, you're on par together. Equal, Jews and Greeks. There's no favored and unfavored. It's we're together. We're one body, Jews and Greeks. And then he, he brought a, a, another cultural division out. He says, if you're slaves or if you're free men, if, you, if you've been bought and, and, and have never had your own anything, or if you've owned everything, guess what? You're equal too, regardless of your social standing or your economic standing. The body of Christ is the great equalizer. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slavers or free. In all were made to drink one spirit. I love this picture of the spirits. Uh, outpouring or overpouring and indwelling. Uh, baptism, when we take people out to the tank, uh, we just did your daughter and some other people, when we put people under the water, it's this picture of them dying to their old selves, as we're going to talk about today, and rising to new life. But it's, this, it's submersion. It's, it's going 
into or being covered fully by the water. Uh, the, the baptism that we're referring to here is the spirit baptism. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, not in portions, not in parts, not in, you know, you know download this, download that. It's, it's just you are fully immersed in the spirit. And because you are immersed and the rest of those who follow Jesus Christ are equally immersed, that brings us together in a belonging. But we're not just immersed in the spirit, we are indwelt. Did you see that where it says there that, and we were all made to drink of one spirit? I don't know where you put your drinks, but mine go inside my body, all right? And so when we drink of the spirit, the spirit indwells us. And so spirit inside, spirit outside, the body of Christ is marked by people who have been indwelt and baptized in the spirit. Paul goes on, I'm just going to run through these real quick, but I think they're bare mentioning anytime we talk about belonging. In this spiritual uh, uh, body that we belong to, a few things. First of all, each member brings something unique. In verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul says this, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, verse <coughs> 15, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole were an eye, where would uh, be the sense of hearing? Answer, it's a rhetorical question. There wouldn't be any sense of hearing. Now, if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? There were times where I wished my whole body were an ear because I've been in some pretty stinky places. Has anybody been there? I'm, I wish my nose didn't work right now. But Paul's point is, look, if, if everybody was one thing and not another, then the parts that are necessary to make our bodies work uh, would not be a part of us at all. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If you ever get mad at your church, get mad at God, he put those people there, right? Uh, it's not like, you know, uh, uh, we, we went out and said, you not you, you not you, you not you. This morning the doors were open, right? There was no, uh, you know, uh, retinal checks or anything like that. You just came in. Isn't that what happened? Yeah, and, and you came in at the bidding of God and you've been here for as long as you've been here at the bidding of God and, and God forms who he wants to form into the churches that he forms. It's his call, not ours, right? Paul goes on and he says this. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Uh, verse 20, as it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Everybody in here is special. I know that's a common theme of our modern world. Uh, not super special, not more special than anybody else, but everybody in here is unique and brings something special to what God wants accomplish, to accomplish through us as a church. Don't think that they're, you know, they're, there's the super Christians, there's the uber Christians. I'm just, you know, uh, I'm not special. You are. Everybody is necessary in God's design in our church. He goes on and Paul actually says that each member is needed. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, <coughs> nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. There, there should be no superiority complexes in the body of Christ. There should be no sense that uh, this person is more spiritual than this person. They may be further along in their discipleship. They may be less rebellious at certain times than other people, but as far as God's valuing us, he values us all the same. Alan Manning was a, a gentleman that was a part of our church when I first got here years ago. Um, 
Alan just kind of blent in with the rest of you as a crowd. Uh, but on, on Sundays, I would get here early in the morning, and Alan would already be here. When the sun would come up, Alan would come up to our church, and uh, he'd spend the first hour or so of his time at our church on Sundays walking around our campus picking up garbage. That was just his thing. That's how he wanted to serve. Unseen, unknown to most people. Alan would just go out there and get a good sweat on, then come and sit next to one of you guys. That was always fun for me. But uh, Alan uh, passed away this summer and uh, went to be with the Lord when I heard uh, that Alan was with Jesus. Uh, I thought about the reunion up there between Alan and his Savior. You know what I think Jesus didn't do? Alan, I wish you'd tried to preach some more. I wish you'd been more effective singing my songs. You know, I wish you'd, you'd, you'd been you know, more diligent with things that I didn't gift you with because those are the important things. No, I think he met Alan at the gate, and he said, Al, way to clean up the church. You nailed that, bro. I mean, you were so faithful, and you didn't want any accolades. Anytime Pastor Mark would say thank you, you just, oh, it's my pleasure, bless God, and, you know, thank you for doing that. Because Jesus knows that there's no superior and inferior in the body of Christ. The, 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 the ground at the foot of the cross is level. That's why it's hard for me sometimes as a pastor uh, not, not to, I don't want to say get you know, frustrated, I, don't, I love you guys, well sometimes you frustrate me, but anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but I stopped going to the corner this summer because I wanted to hang out with more of y'all, and so I'd walk off the stage and I'd come out one of these side doors and I'd just walk up to the side and start talking to people and I'd try to get next door and, and just, I just, it, I just, it's good for me, I just want to say hi to you and and no more people. Usually I go over here, though, and I post up in the corner, and if you have prayer needs or things going on, you can come and talk to me about them. And, and, and certainly that's still a part of my life as a shepherd. I want to do that for you. But this summer I intentionally didn't post up there. And uh, the number of people coming to the corner for prayer decreased uh, a lot. Now, we still had other pastors there, and we have a whole team of prayer partners who serve in our prayer room during the church service and who hang out here in the corner. Uh, but for whatever reason... Um, no one wanted to pray with them. Uh, it's almost as if you think mine are better, if that's the case. Can I just assure you that my prayers are not better? I don't have a red phone in my office that goes straight to God. And that if anybody is willing to take time from their day to listen to your needs and pray for them, you're a fool not to take them up on that if you've got things that you need prayer for. Well, it's the rest of our culture kind of seeping into our church. We, we think haves and have-nots, and, and, you know, that's not how it is in the church. Every member's needed. There's no superiority or inferiority um, because God made it that way. E- each member ultimately belongs to the other members. We've all, we're all important. We're all unique. We're all necessary. <coughs> each member belongs to the other members. As uh, Paul finishes out his thoughts here, In the 24th verse, he says, but God has so composed the body, verse 25, that there may be no division in the body. He made everybody equal so that everybody could stay together and not have the have and have nots. He he says, he does this so that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, verse 26, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. It's how it's supposed to work. We do this as a team. We belong together to each other. Everybody crane your necks around. Look at everybody in here. You own them. Some of you are like, yeah. 
I saw that guy drive in. I want his truck. <laughs> Not what I'm talking about. But I am talking about when we go through things in life, God has given us to each other so that this life can be navigated and we can get through life. You're somebody's pastor. You're someone's shepherd. You're someone's encourager. Most ministry doesn't happen from a stage. Everybody gets that, right? I mean, I appreciate you coming in and listening to me for however long it takes me to finish, but the best sermons I've ever heard were from the passenger seat as I was driving with my mom or uh, on a phone call with a friend from another town as I was going through a deep depression here in the first few years of my uh, ministry as a senior pastor and him saying, hey man, pull your head out, let's do this. Jesus is real. It's that meal that someone shows up with on that day when you just needed to know that someone loved you. That's what the body does when the body's functioning the way it's supposed to. When we belong to each other and when we live in community, beyond just the information, here's my name, it's on my tag, but with intimacy, maybe not knowing everybody, you're not going to know everybody in your section, maybe not even in your row, but wouldn't it be great if you had those 10 to 12 people in your life, whether it's those that you're in life group with or those that you serve with or both, that when life happened, beyond making the call to the pastors and stuff like that, we'd love to care for you. You had a go-to group, those that you belonged to, that could love you through whatever situation you faced. It's how, body, it's how the body was designed. It's how Jesus set it up. In short, if I had to summarize Paul's thinkings here in 1 Corinthians 12. He's basically saying church isn't a building that we sit in. It's a people we belong to. <laughs> I don't want you to say anymore that you go to Bay Life. I'd love for you to say, I belong to Bay Life. Because going is like, you know, I go to the gas station. I go to Sam's Club. But if you're in the church, you belong to Jesus and to his people. I don't know about you, belonging doesn't just happen. Have you noticed this? Belonging, like true belonging, takes a little time. We have to go past information and intimacy. That takes time. I'm amazed at how often I can be surrounded by people and belong to none of them. I was just in airports this past weekend, flying back here from a trip. I was preaching last weekend in a, a, a family camp in eastern Canada. Hi, folks from eastern Canada, New Brunswick. Uh, preached five times in three days, had a great time. Uh, but I, I flew back this past Friday, two nights ago, and uh, I got to Baltimore for my switchover flight, just as all the Friday flights for people who have been there on business were starting to fill up. It was jammed at Baltimore, Washington International. It was just people everywhere. Uh, I, I got myself a, a, a bar stool, just coffee, but a, a bar stool at a at a, a, a diner there in the uh, in the airport, and was surrounded. I mean, it's so, so many people that are like you know they're bumping into you with their bags as they're trying to get to their table and. Um, you know, there's loud clamor, but I was completely alone. The only person talking to me was my server. Can I get you some more coffee? Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's what happens in churches a lot, especially in churches like even like ours, you know, where there's a, you know, a couple more people hanging out. You can come in here and face forward for an hour uh, every week for the rest of your life and get to know no one. And unfortunately, that, that may go without notice. I'm putting you on notice, though. That's not how it's supposed to work. 
You're meant to belong. You're meant to know and be known. You're meant to love and be loved. You're meant to be a part of the body. For that to happen, sociologically, uh, all the scientists have come up with basically four categories that need to occur so that people can belong. Uh, There needs to be a shared interest. Uh, There secondly needs to be shared experiences. There needs to be a shared intent. And then there needs to be a shared identity. Shared interest, you have common things uh, that you like. Uh, uh, I, I, I play golf, not well, but uh, I usually end up hanging out on Friday mornings with people that golf. Weird, right? Uh, uh, shared experiences. This is what happens at anybody's high school reunion, right? You've gone away for 10, 20, 30 years, like mine last year was 30 years, and we looked very different when we came back, right? And lots of stuff had happened in those 30 years that we got to tell the stories of, but you know what we spent the most time talking about, me and my high school stu- classmates? Our experiences, hey, remember the one time when you hung out the window in, you know, uh, Mr. Plord's class and got, you know, got, uh, you know in, in school suspension and, oh, yeah, and I got suspended. And we're, you know, like, you know, badges of, of courage we were talking about, all these dumb things. But we're sharing our stories. Now, you, you, you who are in the military, you can be anywhere in the world and you meet someone else who served in your branch, and, it, and forget it, you're going to use all those acrostics and letters that none of the rest of us understand, and, and you're just going to talk service. You're going to talk your service time, where you served and who you served under, and you're going to have that to be able to relate to because you have that shared history, that shared experience. Shared intent's really important. That's, that's, that's a key shaper of belonging. Uh, see political parties. <laughs> Shared intent means I, I have a preferred future. Do you? Oh, you like mine? Let's, let's go together. Uh, shared identity, that's the high school cafeteria, right? Ever been in the high school cafeteria? The kids that look alike sit together. All the jocks are over there. When I was in high school, which was way longer ago than I think, but the uh, alternative uh, dress was just starting to come. You know, like all the emo kids were uh, hanging out, and it was the cure. Everybody remember the cure? Everybody had the you know, black makeup, and they were goth. And they were doing it because why? They were anti-establishment. But they were so anti-establishment, and there were so many that they established their own anti-establishment. <laughs> and they became their own group, and they formed their own table. It was one of the biggest groups in the, in the high school cafeteria was the kids who didn't fit in with the other groups. If they had just rioted, they could have totally taken over. <laughs> but they did that because they thought alike, felt alike, looked alike. Some of us, we come to church, and we're like, well, I don't see that in the church at all. I mean, look at all of us. Different ages, uh, way different experiences. Uh, some of us have different leanings and different intents for our futures, different things that drive us. Uh, there's so many different things. What, what could possibly bring us to belonging? Well, Paul talks about it all the time in his writings. I'll read the verse that's my favorite. He says there's neither. He goes back to these Distinctions, he says, there's no distinctions, there's no Jews or Greeks, there's no slaves or free, there's not even men and women. Because we are all one in who? Hey, you know what causes us to belong? It's our faith in Christ, our pursuit of Christ, our desire to make much of him. So in the time that I have left, let's just go to one more passage and let's talk about how we as a church create belonging. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about uh, his mission to the Corinthians. He's talking about how sometimes they look at him and they think he's crazy. You know, he's not much to look at. Paul was not much to look at. He was probably a diminutive man. He'd been beat up a bunch. He was was not the picture of success. But he says, listen, man, 
All of those earthly trimmings, all of those things that you might expect for me or from me, uh, those aren't what drive me. Uh, he says, I- I've learned to look at life differently. And so if we're going to belong, we're going to have to learn to look like Paul does. We're going to have to learn to lose the flesh lenses. I'll, I'll explain. Here we go. So Paul says this to his Corinthian friends. This is, uh, you know, his actual Second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that Paul's written, and he's really trying to drive home some points here so these guys can move on as a church. He says, for the love of Christ controls us, compels us, hems us in, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Who's that one? Yeah, if a pastor asks you a question, say Jesus. That's good. <laughs> Jesus has died for all. Therefore, and this is key for all of us who follow Jesus, therefore what? You're dead. You know what you have in common with the rest of the Christians in the world? We're all dead. Every one of us is dead. We're the walking dead. That should be a show. We're dead. Not zombie dead, but we're dead. Dead to what? He'll explain here in a second, but I'll just kind of peek around the corner with you. We're dead to who we were. We're dead to how we were. We're dead to the things that drove us in the past. We're dead to those things. Because Jesus died, we died with him, Paul says in Galatians 2. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer us who live, it's Christ who lives in us. We're dead to pre-us. He says, verse 15, "And, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. You wanna kinda say what I was saying just a second ago in another way, you died to yourself. Jesus died so that you could die to you. He died so that you'd no longer live for yourself, but you would instead live for him, the one who for our sakes died and was raised. So here comes the lens of start. So, so from now on, therefore, we look or regard, uh, at, we look at no one re- according to the what? Flesh. Flesh is the Greek word sarx, it basically uh, is referring to this spiritual condition of our pre-resurrected selves, our pre-Christian selves. We don't look at people like we used to look at them. We don't look at people like the world looks at people. You know, we, we don't uh, make people billionaires like the Kardashians because they're pretty and, and have reality TV shows. We, we do, and we don't esteem that as Christians. We have a different set of values. We, we, we choose to not function in our old selves or in the world's current standards. We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. All Paul's referring to there is the Damascus Road. Uh, Paul, when he was walking on the Damascus Road, was walking with his flesh lenses on. He was kind of heading towards Damascus to persecute these people who were following this carpenter from Nazareth Uh, that Paul assumed was just a fraud. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. I mean, he'd he'd purported to be the Messiah. He'd he'd fooled all of these people who were following him into thinking that he had risen from the grave. He was ruining Judaism, which Paul was an ardent follower of, and he's like, I'm not having it. And so he was moving around his country and heading up to Syria in this case, to make sure that those who are following this false Messiah would meet their just ends. But on the way to Damascus, do you remember what happened? A bright light, so bright, 
that the sunglasses of his flesh could not keep it out. In fact, it melted them away. And he came face to face with the true Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord. And Jesus says to Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And forevermore, Saul, who physically became blind that day for a little while, uh, spiritually had his eyes opened that day. And he never saw Jesus in the flesh again. And so we see, recorded in the book of Acts in the back parts of our New Testaments, this guy who's just utterly changed, whose lights have come on, who's been given the corrective lenses of the Holy Spirit, and now he sees Jesus and people totally different. And if you want to belong, here's what's going to happen. You're going to have all these excuses. I'm going to challenge you in just a few minutes to get in the life group. And you're going to just run through all the reasons why I can't be in one. I'm busy. People are weird. I don't want to go to a strange house. You're going to have all these great reasons. And in the, in the culture and the world's understanding of things, everybody will be right on, bro. Absolutely. But if you're looking at things the way God's looking at things, he's like, No. You weren't created, A, just for you and your comforts. Think about life groups, not in terms of what you'll get, but in terms of what you can give. There might be someone in that life group that God needs you to minister to. But we usually come to any opportunities that we have as churches, how's this gonna affect me? Well, that's world lenses. Me, 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 me. What's gonna happen to me? What's in it for me? But Paul says, I don't live for me anymore. Me's dead. I just want to be where God wants me, doing what God wants me to do. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to be able to pass beyond information and into intimacy, we're going to have to start seeing things without the flesh lenses. Instead, we're going to have to see everyone as new. Look what it says in verse uh, 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's new. He's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Sometimes we come into church and we're like, not my guy. Not my, you know, obviously we're different. We're different ages. Uh, there's differences between us and that's not my guy. But, but you know what God uh, is, is telling us through Paul? Your guy. That's your guy. And you need to quit looking at the old things that you used to evaluate people on and you just need to see the new thing. That he's a new creation. And that that person that you might think you have nothing to benefit from might be the one that God wants to teach you the most with. Old things have passed away. Old things have become new. That means uh, in Christ, we have, like we said earlier, a shared identity. It's this one hope and that we're saved by grace. We have shared interests. We have this one mission, which is the glory of God. We have shared experiences. Uh, we have the same uh, uh, purpose in serving as we serve together, we have the same sacraments which we participate in together, the taking of the Lord's Supper and baptism. We have uh, certainly a shared intent. And we have the same mission, the same future lying ahead of us. You and I may not have the same history, but we got the same future. You and I will spend forever in the presence of a God who has saved us by the sacrifice of his son. And so here's my hope for us that we'll belong to each other and that we'll belong to this mission. That's what Paul says. He says in verse 18 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's the deal. What Paul just said there is that God reconciled us through Christ. He brought us back. Reconciled means make whole, make, bring to, to, to even. He brought us back into relationship with him. And then he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who's responsible for getting the news out about this great opportunity that we have in Christ? Those who have Christ. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against him, and entrusting uh, to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Paul says, we implore you there in Corinth, and we implore you here in Brandon and outskirts of the area, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be connected with God. I'm so grateful. I'm looking out at many of you who I know have made that choice. I'm glad to have the same future in store for me and for you. But here's the deal. While we're waiting for that future to be realized, be about this reconciliation ministry. And so you and I, if you've forgotten, we are meant to be long to each other. We are meant to be a part of this mission. Uh, and so tonight, uh, some of you who haven't been in life group for a while, you need to find one again. If you've been kind of lone rangering it, kind of secluded, you need to be in uh, relationship, belonging to people again. Come tonight from 6 to 8 and find your group. If you've never been in a life group, and it's because of all those reasons that you've you know, had, maybe it's time not maybe, it is time for you to belong because God belongs to himself. He created us in his image to belong to him and to belong to each other. May God give us the fullness of our experience with him in life as we belong to each other. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for a chance to uh, go through these important principles from scripture about how you've made us. You've made us to be on the same team, uh, to function together in life, uh, loving each other and encouraging each other, supporting each other. When we rejoice, we're meant to rejoice with each other. When we suffer, we suffer with each other. God, thanks for uh, creating this belonging that is your church. Um, It's easy, Lord, to just kind of be anonymous. It's easy to just kind of settle for... um, uh, the informal and uh, the informative about ourselves but never head into intimacy. And so God, uh, I pray that today would be the beginning in many of our lives uh, of us uh, progressing towards belonging. Um, Lead us to the men and women, the uh, fellow peers that will uh, be our support system in the body of Christ. Um, Help us to be available to others uh, as, as they need support and encouragement and direction. Uh, Do your work among us so that your mission can move forward and you can be glorified in your world. I pray this, God, with all my heart and in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen.